Welcome to the Thinking Church podcast with me, Chris Bright. Thinking Church exists to help your church thrive by helping you think through key strategic areas of church life. Each week, I'll be talking through a different aspect of church life, along with some very special guests. If you like this podcast, why not subscribe, give us a rating, and give us a review as well. So, without further ado, get your thinking caps on, and let's get into this week's episode. Well, hey there, welcome along to the Thinking Church podcast, and this week, Lee Button and I are joined by another Lee, which is Lee Baker, and uh, Lee Baker is the worship pastor, the lead worship pastor at 12 Stone Church. Before I get into that, I just want to let you know about a free 10-day church health check that you can get. Uh, just go to our website, www.thinking.church, and on the homepage, you can sign up for our mailing list, and uh, on when you sign up for that, uh, we'll send you a free 10-day church health check and it's just uh we'll send you it's a pdf and you can just open up and it'll have 10 conversations that you can have with your team and ask some really really interesting questions about your statistics your church finances your mission your values your discipleship your your leadership development and and much more and i think that uh and our prayer is that that this these conversations will help your church be better, stronger, and healthier at the end of it. So just go to our website, www.thinking.church, and I'm sure you will love it. So in this week's episode, we were joined by Lee Baker, who is the lead worship pastor of 12 Stone Church. And 12 Stone Church are a uh, multi-site church in Atlanta, Georgia. They have uh, eight campuses uh, and over 16,000 people in their church. And it's, you know, incredible numbers. And we really wanted to pick Lee's brain on how to run a team during lockdown, uh, Lee has started something really incredible online, which is a um, an online worship training platform called Meta. And there's so much that we can learn about that and how to train teams remotely. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. And also, I think what you'll really love is Lee's pastor's heart that he brings to everything. He's, he's a real pastor uh, to the core and the wisdom that he brings and the clarity that he brings, I think you'll really love. So without further ado, Here's our conversation with Lee Baker. Okie dokie, let's get started. Uh, Lee Baker, uh, Mm. the last time that Lee Button and I met with you in Atlanta, uh, you were talking passionately about how churches need to understand their worship mission statement. Uh, What is that and why do you think it's important? Yeah, um... You know, I'll use the example of when we when we went through that season of launching those five campuses, we were also in kind of transitioning leadership in a lot of areas of ministry. And there was just a lot of change. It was leadership transitions. It was new staff. It was new campuses. And we just heard um, people in the ministry asking questions, you know, man, who are we? Uh, why do we do this? What, what's going on? You know, there was a lot of questions because there was a lot of change and, and people had kind of been associated with and known the, the teams of 12 Stone in, in mostly one way for the last several years. 12 Stone was already a multi-site church, but those multi-sites were functioning sort of autonomously and, and planning worship on their own and 
you know, kind of functioning on their own, but sharing just the talk, just the message from our lead pastor, uh, Pastor Kevin. And, and so we just started to answer those questions. I think it's really hard to build rhythms and methods and practices in a ministry if you don't have the foundation of culture. And the foundation of that is, you know, what you do, what you say, what you celebrate, who you are, those sorts of things that kind of rarely change in ministry culture. And so we just began to answer those questions. Um, you know, what kind of people do we want to be known as, you know, as we build ministry? What character values matter to us? What core beliefs do we have? What uh, what are the reasons why we do what we do? You know, what is it that we do? What is the exact thing that we do so people don't get confused and they have these statements to hold on to? It's really hard for people to feel like owners, um, you know, in ministry if they don't understand uh, what the ministry is doing and why it does it and all those sorts of things. But if you empower them with those statements, they become owners and they can talk about the ministry as an owner in the ministry. And that's how we see our leaders and our volunteers and, and our worship pastors. Like everybody owns a piece of ministry that we're doing. Everybody owns that responsibility. So we had to start from the ground up of just going, the first question we asked was, who are we? And four character values popped to the surface of that conversation. And that became who we were as a worship culture, the character of Jesus. Uh, and then we just kept building, you know, from there, uh, this foundation. And along that, we saw our practices and our methods start to change to serve those values and that vision, that mission, you know, as God would clarify those things um, in a way that served the greater vision of the church. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can build worship ministry that's really successful and really wonderful. And you see people do it differently all the time. And then there's no right way to do it. Um, just figuring out how to communicate those foundational cultural level things in a way that serves the vision of a church that you're serving at. Uh, that's the best way to do it. There's no kind of right or wrong intrinsically. It's just you figuring out how to build those foundational cultural things that serve the vision of the church that you're at. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, Lee button. Do you want to just uh, dive in there? Cause I know something, you know, talking about mission statements and things like that is something that you're very passionate about as well yeah so um two things i'd like to pick up on there with that is um you said about the you know the ownership which gives people that greater sense of um, accountability but also allows them the, the buy-in did you have a was it a collaborative process to come up with that uh statement for the team where you engaged all those around it or was it something that uh, a few of you felt uh, strongly, um, and as you put that together, was it then more how you communicated it to other people? Um, kind of like, you know, what, what was the what was the part of that process? Just to unpick that a little. Yeah, it was collaborative among like the leadership of the ministry. Um, you know, like like Chris had mentioned, we being multi-site and having you know lots of volunteers involved in the ministry and staff and all that sort of stuff. You know, we we went through conversations with people, and I, I think that. I'll say it's collaborative among the leadership. I think the decision-making was collaborative among like maybe a handful of people, but I think that the, the direction of that was collaborative among everyone. I mean, when you're, when you're building these mission statement, worship statement type things, the first thing you need to do is listen well to what people are, are saying and look at what people are doing and look at what's resonating with the congregation in the ministry. Look at what's not resonating with the congregation. And I think the first, thing we try to do is tweak tweak method we tweak like how we're doing something instead of talking about why we're doing it and i think just having conversations and listening it becomes even though the decisions are being made 
by maybe a small group of people, the collaboration extends outside the decision makers, if that makes sense. If you're a good listener, the collaboration extends outside the decision makers because you want to hear what questions people are asking, how they naturally would answer those questions of their own volition, mm. you know, of their own choice. And, and take that into account. What's real inside of people? What's already authentic? You're not trying to design something um, and then just force people to go along with it. You're trying to find who you really are in identity and then just simplify it, make it portable, make it understandable and, and, and empower people with it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Uh, I guess there'll be, there'll be loads of people at the moment who are thinking, okay, so uh, we're in lockdown at the moment and how can you still function as a worship team at this time? Um, how do you think that that worship teams at the moment should be uh, approaching worship right now uh, in this season of lockdown? Everyone's in their houses. How do you? Mm. How, what's what should our approach be? How should we think about that? Well, there, there's two vantage points of it. I think one's the congregation, one's the team. So you know, for us, thank thank God for all of us. You know, we have this great tool of technology that we can communicate and you know, experience moments of worship outside of being in the same room. And, you know, everybody's doing that a little bit differently, but keeping the value of worship in front of the church and available for the church, whether you're streaming or pre-recording or, man, just shooting worship moments in your living room on your iPhone and putting them on Instagram live, like whatever you can do to serve your church to give them moments of engaging with God through songs, I think is super valuable for the, for the heart of the church, you know, Ephesians and Colossians both remind us like singing. And even if you're just in like the people that you're quarantined with, like you're teaching and admonishing and challenging one another as you sing. And there's just, even, even as I've sat with my family and watched our services online, just experiencing watching worship and getting to talk to my kids like this past Sunday, you know, I'm going, Hey, there's value in this. We're, we're singing and reading these lyrics that are truths about God. And, and we need to do that because it reminds us of who he is in times like this. And, you know, so there's the value of like making sure that you have those moments for the congregation. There's also the value of worship ministry inside your team. And I don't think that it's possible to really develop uh, people who don't feel cared for, like to help grow teams that don't feel cared for. I think that everything starts with care. I think everything starts with being pastors, being great pastors to the, the people that God's entrusted to you. There's a great passage in First uh, 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 Peter 5 that um, Peter was talking to some, some people in the church, some lay people, I'm sure some, some great pastors and leaders and teachers. We know that there's multiple ages of people there and just reminding them of their calling and saying, hey, your first, your first job is to care for the flock that's been entrusted to you. And in that care, Everything else will spawn from that. I think as we're separated, the number one thing that we've worked on as worship pastors is just connecting to our people and letting them know like, hey, we're here for you. Um, volunteers, uh, congregation uh, members. I think one of the most successful things that we've done in this season, um, I haven't even directly been a part of, but our worship pastors at the campuses um, are making phone calls. They, <clears throat> excuse me, they went back uh, a few, uh, uh, a year or so. And any, anybody who had any contact with the church, they've been making phone calls to people, one-on-one -on -one phone 
calls the staffs of those campuses and just checking on people and asking how they're doing and if they can do it. And there's been so many amazing stories that have come from those calls. Same thing's been going on in our worship teams. Um, uh, and I'm asking our worship pastors, like, hey, share what you guys are doing. Share what you guys are doing. Um, guys are using um, uh, uh, applications like Slack. I don't know if you, you guys use Slack much in the UK, mm -hmm. but it's kind of a group messaging thing. Yeah. Um, people are writing handwritten cards and mailing them to their to their uh, team members. You know, it just means something to, you know, the, the mail, the post is still is still functioning here for now. And so I'm sure people may get those in Clorox and, you know, wipe, wipe them down good uh, before they open them. But but uh, people are doing that. People are doing Zoom calls. Obviously, um, I had one worship pastor tell me the other day that they, um, he had done Zoom calls with instrument groups. Like he did one with just a few bass players and just a few drummers and just a few, just so they could talk gear and talk shop and, you know, kind of be normal for a second. But all of that isn't necessary, isn't primarily uh, a tool for development. It's a tool for pastoring. It's a tool for care. And development just naturally comes in uh, incubators where people feel cared for. And I think creative people, I think all people, but I think uh, particularly creative people, worship musicians, worship leaders will flock to the warmest incubator, the place that they feel really, really cared for in Jesus name, uh, places they can bring their problems and their struggles and their fears and all that, especially in a season like this. And so um, it may be that God doesn't develop our team into like better drummers and guitar players and worship leaders during the season, but he may develop their hearts of faith and he may develop uh, their, their hearts for the gospel and he may develop their trust in him. And all of those things are going to translate to platform worship leadership as well. And so we want to make sure that we'll, we're cultivating all sorts of things through pastoral care so that people can grow in whatever way God wants them to grow in this obviously interesting and different sort of season. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, I'd love to pick up with you about uh, Meta. Uh, it's a, a platform yeah. that uh, that you and your team have started. Um, just just tell us about what it is and and what led you to to start it. Yes, we have some great friends at uh, Church of the Highlands, which is a church here in America in Birmingham, Alabama, and they have an incredible development program where they have people gather on a weekly basis and they do live coaching. People play a song, they do live coaching. Um, that is just amazing. And it's inspired a lot of churches. And it got us to thinking about how we would you know, develop people. And then I ran across a platform online that um, Fender Guitars had actually developed called Play that they use for uh, instrument, you know, just teaching guitar and bass and, and acoustic guitar. And I thought that it was super brilliant um, uh, that they had figured out how to put all this online. And so this is probably three years ago. We started kind of writing some just outlines of like, hey, what would it look like? Um, we, we knew that if we wanted to develop people in Atlanta, um, traffic is just so terrible that it's really hard to get, you guys have been, you understand what I'm talking about, uh, to ask people to come once a week to an additional thing when they're already part of a worship team and probably part of a small group and their kids are in sports and, you know, they have all this to, to, um, ask them to come once a week to live coaching was a lot. And so what we designed was a platform where they could do curriculum in the flow of their life online, just on YouTube. It's all free on YouTube. It's all organized in the playlist. Other it's it's there for that reason. We haven't 
built some big fancy app around it. Although we would love to make it, you know, cleaner and more resourceful at the same time, but we, we want to keep it available to churches to just use if they can. Uh, and so we designed Meta. Meta is just a prefix that means transformation. And that's what we hope this is, is transformational worship training. Um, and so uh, there's online curriculum. And then we do meet once a month with our participants in Meta and do live coaching with them. And so everybody goes through um, four what we call core units in Meta on worship theology, preparation and practice, uh, playing with a band, stuff like that applies to everyone. And then we have six instrument units and everyone goes through their particular instrument unit as well. And so you, those are all at youtube.com slash 12 stone worship is one, two stone worship. You can go watch them and send them to your teams. Just they're all kind of like most of them are like three to five minutes. We tried to keep it in that YouTube kind of guideline, you know, people check out after five or six minutes kind of a thing. So we wanted to keep it digestible. Um, uh, so a few of them may go a little bit longer just because of the content, you know, it kind of necessitated that. But Meta, Meta was meant to be a tool for developing and discipling worship musicians in an age where obviously being online is is not just um, a resource. It's almost the norm, you know, now. And even now, I was just talking to uh, a girl on our staff team. Uh, she's contacting all of our Meta participants one on one this month. And just sending them the the units that they haven't completed yet, just because they can. And thank God, you know, that he sparked this idea in us before all this hit, because at least now, you know, there's some resources out there for our teams that they can go watch these videos and hopefully learn something and develop some of their skills, you know, while we're in this season. Um, along with that so obviously you're 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 a church that's um got a got a certain scale to it and you know there's Mm. i don't think we've got any churches kind of like hitting those kind of numbers um in in the uk uh particularly so there's a lot where you know some people would say oh does this does does what you've put in place translate for for where for where we are now in the in the work that Chris and I do, we we tell people that it's about getting health before we look at like numbers and the numerical aspect mm-hmm. of it. Um, and one of the ways we do that is we we try to measure uh, the impact something has rather than just the output. You know, like oh, twenty five people did our course, or you know, all of our worship teams did our course. I, I'm just wondering, in terms of the impact, what's the kind of behaviour change you've seen within your team as a result of doing such a pastorally led and well thought through um series of of coaching what's the kind of the, the behavior change that people have shifted because that's something that would translate directly to environments over here yeah <clears throat> well just to give some context too like we have campuses that are uh on the on the smaller scale f- for us you know that are four or five hundred people uh six seven hundred people a couple of campuses not uh, I wouldn't want you to get the sense that every campus has like, you know, thousands and thousands of people. We we do have two or three campuses that, you know, are a thousand, a couple thousand people or, or you know, our broadcast locations. 
um, large, obviously, but uh, we have a lot of campuses that we're serving, you know, um, in one in particular that's still portable in a rural area. And, and so we understand, you know, we're all volunteer. We're not contracting uh, musicians. And, and um, that's awesome if you do. But like we, we've just chosen this route to, to lead volunteer teams. Um, I would say uh, in ter terms of a behavioral like visual change in people, uh, culture, worship culture, which I'll define it as culture is what you do, what you say, and what you celebrate. And what you celebrate always trumps what you do and what you say. Um, you always get more of what you celebrate. You can say and do, you can have all the clear mission statements and all that, but if you don't celebrate those statements and you can have all these great processes and methods and systems, but if you don't celebrate when people work those correctly, those things won't become a part of your culture. So I would say, the, the biggest behavioral change we've seen is the ownership factor. We put something in place a couple of years ago. Um, uh, and we talk about our, our ecosystem, our culture in three things. It's kind of like, here's a big rock, like what we do on Sundays. Uh, meta is one of those pieces of our culture because it's a piece of development that pushes people up. The other piece we have is something we call worship leadership teams. And it's the third piece of our kind of ecosystem. And it pulls people up. So worship leadership teams are volunteers at our campuses that have committed to a year of kind of higher level of spiritual authority and leadership on our worship teams. And, and what it's done to the entire ministry is spread ownership out. We're in kind of our second full year, third year, if you include our kind of beta year that we did um, of worship leadership teams. And that was just a, a furtherance of the clarity of all those mission statements getting the systems in place that we knew that we needed to serve the church well, but doing it in such a way that it was character driven. It was value driven. It was because of the character of Jesus and serving the church. People started to take ownership and they're not doing it because they're told they're doing it because it's inside of them. Like people are showing up uh, bare, you know, bare bones, let's get down to it. Like people are showing up really prepared because one of our values is integrity. Now, so on a heart level, integrity is a value. Integrity is being truthful. Integrity is doing what you say you're going to do. So we talk about when you accept an assignment to come and serve, an opportunity to come and serve, you're saying yes to a lot of things, that you're going to be prepared and on time and, you know, uh, prepared spiritually, prepared musically, you know, ready to lead and worship. Um, and you're, so there's the, that's the value part of it. Um, the other part of, of the integrity piece is, is how that manifests itself. Like as a team, you feel responsible to your teammates. They're owning these things because it's an expression of what God's doing on the inside of them. And then we have these systems in place that support, uh, that integrity value. Um, when I was talking to Chris, uh, a few days ago, uh, you know, we say this a lot here in our ministry, but you can't have expectations higher than you're willing to resource. And, and so that's, that's a piece of integrity. Integrity is one of our values. Our values are humility, integrity, community, and excellence. Those are our four team values. And so in our value of integrity, we want to be really prepared. Well, if we want people to be prepared as leaders, then we have to resource them well so that they can be prepared. So there's a, a thread that runs throughout all this. We've seen a rise in preparation, but not because we... Um, just talked about preparation. 
we saw a rise in the quality of people's spiritual and musical preparation because we talked about integrity, because we talked about the biblical value of doing what you say you're going to do, the biblical value of excellence, bringing your best, the, the biblical value of excellence uh, or of humility in submitting yourself to a team of people and to a congregation of people, and then supporting that um, with resources and systems that allowed people to prepare and utilize their time well. And so we've seen behavioral outcomes, but not because we asked for, it's because we built an infrastructure of values and resourcing and systems that supported that instead of focusing on it. It's like, if you focus on behavior, you may get behavior for a season, but if you focus on the heart and change why people do stuff and help people make decisions based on the truth of the scriptures and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they're going to choose to prepare because they chose these things, not because I told them to. Does that make sense? So yeah, there's yeah, a deeper absolutely. thread, that deeper thread that we're running with. And I think that's why, you know, I, I would say we didn't see the fruit. We, we saw it change incrementally, but I don't think we saw the full fruit of like the example I'm using is musical spiritual preparation. You know, it took three years. It took four years, you know, to kind of weave some of that and, and allow time for foundations to be built and conversations to be had and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so if you're, if you're in the middle of that, one encouragement I would give you is just don't go too fast, man. We're, you know, take time to pastor people through these things. You're, you're discipling people into these things. You're yeah. pastoring. It's more than just giving people a list of do's and don'ts. It's having conversations and discipling the condition of people's hearts um, to serve the church and serve the team and serve uh, the name of Jesus, you know, in, in the process of all that. Yeah, absolutely. So much in the process of getting there. So much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Lee Baker, I'm going to have to refer to you with your surname still. Um, um, I'd love to pick up again on um, just thinking about online and, uh, you know, this website, this, this webinar, sorry, is about thinking about how we can use online mm-hmm. well. So, I mean, at the moment we're in, you know, coronavirus is, is everywhere. And so we're kind of forced to think about um, online. But what do you think the the legacy of this period is going to be for worship teams when coronavirus is gone what what advantages can be gained from moving your team more online uh after coronavirus is gone what what advantages do you think uh, i think that obviously this season has shown us what's possible uh and maybe even forced our hands a little bit maybe if if you're a church that hasn't pushed into this online world much uh, with services and all those sorts of things. It's definitely like kind of forced our hand a little bit in that regard. And maybe even more so than streaming services, just how you are using social media, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and, you know, all these things that are out there as resources for us to engage uh, people that, that are a part of our congregation, you know, that would follow us on social media and all sorts of things. Um, I don't think, I don't think that it's like a takeover. I think that online is a tool, is another opportunity for us to engage people. Uh, You know, and I've been a part, 20 years in ministry, I've been a part of the the mega church movement and the multi-site movement and all those sorts of things. And it seemed that we always had measured attendance 
uh, that that was like a driving factor is like how many adult people are attending our main gathering every week. And I think that that is incredibly valuable and, and will probably continue to be valuable. But I think that what online has done is raise some questions for us where let's say, uh, let's say Chris, you know, attends, uh, used to attend his church twice a month. Um, but after this is all over, he only attends his church once a month, but he engages online three times a month. So now he used to go to church twice a month. Now he goes to church once a month, but engages online three more times. Now he's actually engaging with the church more, but attending less. What does that mean? You know, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? I, I think that us being in worship environments together and prayer environments together, I think that that those things have biblical values to them. I think that us uh, you know, being in a room and singing song, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together in our hearts have incredible value uh, for the body of Christ, for the family of God. Uh, I also think that online is just such a great way to engage people, even people that are outside of your immediate regional, maybe neighborhood circle, that for some reason God connects their heart to the uniqueness of the vision that he's given you as a church. And they're able to connect with you. And that wouldn't have been the case. And that's definitely not a bad thing. Uh, you know, our online engagement before all of this happened and, uh, already uh, pre- pretty pretty large and pretty significant for, for us. In this season, it's just gone crazy. Um, and the engagement, having people, you know, who are a part of leading that, our social media pastor, uh, this guy named Alan, a girl named Lindsay that works in that department as well. They're just amazing social media pastors. Uh, That's what they are. They're shepherding and caring for people in the online world. And our campus pastors are amazing about jumping in the live chats on YouTube and talking to the people that they know and praying for people. And it's just learning how to engage is a step of it. You know, how, how your church engages with people. I think every church will engage differently based on the vision that, that God's given them, you know, and I think that's definitely something to pray about as far as worship goes. Um, you know, I was talking to a friend of ours the other day and, and I was talking about my, my boss this week, uh, who's also a friend about some of this. There's now that everyone's doing it, you know, you almost have to find a deeper purpose within yourself other than just having a presence online. Um, why are we in particular doing this? You know, I know that, you know, just knowing you guys, I know thinking church as an organization is a lot about the why, you know, why, why are we doing this? I think that that's a big question to ask. Um, I think we're past the point of, should you be online? Um, I think we're on to the point of why, why, why are we online? And answer that question uh, as wisely as you can and do ministry and you'll learn along the way, you know, sort of a thing. Um, Worship wise, practically, I'll I'll, I'll mention a couple of things. One, I I would keep it as simple as you can. 
Um, audio quality is like so important. People will disengage from poor audio quality and go find something that, that does have. So if you can do really great audio with just like keys and acoustic and a vocal, that's better than really bad audio with a full band. You know, what people are really looking for more than like high production value online is just authenticity and connection. And so it, it's it's not like the big production value is, that's cool, it's dynamic, it's, it's, it's got a wow factor. But I think what's infinitely more important than that is just authenticity, like people actually worshiping uh, and not just, you know, executing or performing songs, but actually engaging with God. And, and sometimes it's easier to learn to do that in a small um, uh, setting than it is to just jump in full band and try to try to navigate all of that. And so if you're a church that's just putting a toe in that water, you know, keyboard, acoustic guitar, two vocals, figure out how to do that well, and then start to add pieces as it serves your vision. You may never add another piece, you know, to it. Uh, you may find that that serves your vision wonderfully uh, in this season, but you may also want to start adding, you know, elements of worship or, or different instruments or tracks or wh whatever it is that serves your vision well. And, uh, but start simple and then keep adding. Yeah, oh, that's brilliant. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Uh, Lee, uh, Lee Baker, we, you and I first met uh, a few years ago uh, when my church uh, sent me off over to Atlanta uh, mm -hmm. to speak with lots and lots of people from Charleston. And um, you were so gracious to give me an hour of your time. And I remember asking you question after question about how your church ran music and, uh, and how you did it whilst being multi-site. Um, and my, like, I think my main memory from when we met that time is it really your experience of how your church ran it and why your church ran the way you did. It kind of shattered some preconceived beliefs I had about how worship should be run. Um, in, in the UK, we're still really new to the multi-site world, um, but you've been doing it for, for quite a while. Um, so how does uh, 12 Stone, how, do, how does 12 Stone run its worship across your eight locations? How does that, how does that work? Yeah, so obviously it's, it's evolved over time. Um, you know, as with anything, as you understand more and you grow more and you get to know each other, you know, those things evolve. I'll tell you where we're at uh, currently. And then if you want me to walk backwards, uh, I'll be happy to. Uh, so currently uh, all eight locations that we have now, we sing the same three songs every week. So myself and our, uh, what we call campus services is a team of people that leads and serves uh, those who are doing ministry at the campuses. And, and so our campus services team plans and resources and communicates all of the details of the service every week. And so in that, there's three songs that we all sing. And the reason we sing the same songs uh, is first because of the value of unity. We think that that's uh, really important to us uh, throughout our, our church. Um, there's something really special about knowing that there's people in different locations singing the same prayers, singing the same songs. Uh, there's something really unifying about that. And so we wanted to retain that value of, of unity. Um, uh, we also, however, um, when we plan those three songs, um, we leave a little bit of space. And I'll talk about that in a second. But the the other reason we do these um, these three songs together is because when your song pool is smaller and people are doing the same things, practically you can resource it better, uh, you can teach it better, uh, you can evaluate it better, 
uh, when things are just a little bit more streamlined. And so, you know, the, the main reason is the value of unity, but secondarily, it allows us to really resource things well, really communicate things well, really evaluate things well, because everybody in some shape, form, or fashion are singing and executing a similar thing. Now, people may change a key because they want a female to lead this song or a guy to lead this song or, you know, this song may be like a step too high or, or something like that for, you know, um, uh, and they have that flexibility. Um, the other flexibility they have is what I mentioned a, a moment ago. Um, so we have 23 and a half minutes for worship um, on the beginning of our services. Our services are an hour and 15 minutes long. Um, 23 and a half minutes is a really great amount of time for worship. Um, you know, we started at like 18 and over the years, it's kind of like crept up a little bit more and more. Um, and, uh, and that's been really great. So if we plan three songs and those three songs are around 18 minutes, it leaves our worship pastors five and a half minutes of what we call margin time, uh, that they can do whatever they see fit with. Uh, they can add a, a hymn or a tag of another song, or they can have a moment of ministry or prayer, or they may have baptisms in their services that day. It allows their campus pastor and, and uh, the worship pastor to work alongside of each other to figure out uniquely how God wants to use that time at their campus. And so while we have these moments that are programmed uh, and unified across the campuses, every campus also has these moments every week. Uh, and in service to service, sometimes those moments change. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. You know, I think the Holy Spirit works deeply in planning. The Holy Spirit doesn't wait until we start service to start speaking to us. I think the Holy Spirit's always speaking to us about how to service people. And so the Holy Spirit's always teaching us in, in planning. Um, the Proverbs talk a lot about the value of planning, you know, you know? Uh, and being prepared. We can't ask people to be prepared if we're not planned. And so there's a lot of great things that come from being planned. But we also need that sort of time that we just want God, if he moves, we want to have space for that. Uh, some of our some of our worship pastors will plan that time. Some of them, uh, some weeks, some moments, they, they'll just kind of walk into it. If it's only like three minutes, they'll just kind of wait until they get there and navigate it and see what the Holy Spirit's doing. And it becomes a very spontaneous thing. We have a value on both. I don't think spontaneous is better than planned or planned is better than spontaneous. I think as, as worship pastors, when the idea of margin was introduced to us, when God was so kind to give us that idea, what I had noticed was we weren't doing anything to help develop the spiritual intuition or spiritual responsibilities of our worship pastors. They were just kind of running the play. And even though we valued unity, um, we also wanted our worship pastors to have the responsibility and the opportunity to exercise their spiritual intuitions. And so when God gave us, you know, the idea of margin in our worship sets, uh, it was a real gift because we had just, I'm sure that's that loads of other churches had thought of that before. We were just too stupid to, <laughs> to think of it. And so, uh, and so we were so thankful when he did, because it's really changed the engagement. And now when we, we meet on a weekly basis as all the worship pastors and the campus services worship staff, and to hear the stories of what God does and how the spirit moves in those moments is really awesome to hear um, the excitement behind people's, you know, voices like they, they interacted with God. God told them 
to do something. He led them in his spirit and his word and they obeyed and God did something amazing, you know, in the process. And that's just exciting, man. I'm glad, I'm glad that everybody gets that opportunity, but I'm also thankful that we all get to stay unified in, in, you know, the majority of the songs we're singing too. So. Just, just asking. So you said about uh, three songs being there, um, and that that's kind of like mm-hmm. the the unity piece, which is you know fantastic, especially with levels of in person attendance. That's that's also not a lot of repeat that people experience. H- how mm-hmm. big is the song bank that you are drawing from, and how how often do you rotate that to bring new ones in? Just as a, a, a bit of a, a mm-hmm. practical thing for guys here leading teams. Sure. Yeah. So we introduce um, roughly a new song a month. Um, we uh, we run a song pool that's, man, it rarely ever gets bigger than 30. I don't like for it to get bigger than that. Um, you know, all the research says that people attend church about once, maybe twice a month. So they're not learning songs as a worship team. You know, you're rehearsing them you're learning them, you're playing them. If you have multiple services or, you know, run throughs or whatever, you're playing the song maybe 10 times to do two services. Um, but people only hear it once and they may not even be there. That's. Hmm. And so like, feel like that maybe there's a small pool, but, um, you know, I know churches here in the States that, you know, 18, 20 songs is about what they run. Our songs typically run about an 18 month cycle. Uh, and then they're, they're either out or they're in this section of our song pool uh, that we call the Hall of Fame. So I'll tell you how we organize them a little bit. So we have um, uh, songs in tier one, um, and we adopted this from our creative director. He used it at another church that he was at previously as well. But um, uh, in tier one is like new songs, fresh songs. The church is singing them. Uh, They're fresh. They're current. You know, all those sorts of things. There's usually about 12 songs in that bank it's like the last 10 or 12 songs we've introduced tier two is like the church is still singing them they're huge they're important songs um but they're not quite as fresh you know as as they used to be and then tier three is that hall of fame tier it's like songs that man they're going to stick around for you know like cornerstone by hillsong you know you you could sing that song for 10 years and it's going to matter you know like they're just these songs that are just classics and then we have a bank of tags that are just like bridges and choruses of things like um, uh, uh, break every chain or, you know, something like that. That's really just like a chorus that hits with Mm. people or a bridge. And we have a pool of those that's about six or eight or 10. And then we have a pool of, of hymns that are just like the hymns that most people know. There's like 10 hymns that most people know. Uh, And so those are the things that our worship pastors will pull from to fill their margin time, you know, uh, in, in services, if they want to add moments or things like that. And so we kind of function out of that. There's about 30 songs in tiers one, two, and three, plus the tags and hymns. And so that's what we kind of function out of. When we introduce a song, we typically do it three weeks in a row and then give it a week off. And then it's just in the pool. Um, those are the practicalities 
realities. But I'd say we break those rules a lot um, because we really try to approach it prayerfully and purposefully first. Um, And if most often we can run the play, but when I'm selecting a new song, there are practical things in my mind uh, for sure. Like, man, we really need a new uh, female led song, or we really need a new upbeat song, or we really, you know, there's practical things floating in my mind, but I keep a, a playlist on Apple music of songs that I've heard our worship pastors mention over and over again of songs that are just connecting with my heart of songs that, um, maybe you're just fresh and new. Uh, you know, I keep a playlist of them and every once in a while I'll grab my guitar and I just worship through these songs on my own. And as God starts to speak to my heart about a certain song, it kind of rises to the top of that list. And then generally there's like a, you know, I'll have a conversation and go, Hey, what, what songs are hitting on you guys' hearts? And, uh, you know, this girl from our team, that guy from our team, you know, they'll, they'll go, Oh, that song. Oh, I love that song. And enough songs like, okay, God, there's something there. And then I'll, kind of keep worshiping through those two songs until I just feel this great confirmation, you know, and then we'll start kind of planning around that and resourcing and all those sorts of things. So cool. that, yeah, that's back to the better. Yeah. So the better, the better plans you are, the more flexible you can be. Essentially. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Awesome. There's, there's one more question I'd just like to pick up with you. And it's, it was the thing I remember uh, when, when I first spoke with you and at that time you weren't uh, the lead worship pastor you were one of the campus worship pastors um, and um, I remember asking because you, you still had that thing where the, the songs were chosen for you but you weren't as far as I remember rightly in that kind of choosing uh, this is, the songs were given to you and I remember asking well does that take away how does that feel for you as someone who's got to lead those songs do you feel like really inhibited and your answer was uh, really quite astonishing because I think it brought out the heart of the pastor in you. Um, can you just, I mean, you may not remember <laughs> how you answered that one, but what was it um, for you in that time? How did that feel for you? And what did it kind of, what was the actually the advantages to that? Yeah, I think as worship pastors, worship leaders, um, if, if we feel like our value comes from a certain task, or a certain group of tasks, we will hold on to those things um, and not release those those things. The the value is not what we do necessarily. The value that we have inherently from God is in the fact that He called us and chose us and called us to pastor people and everything else that manifests itself from from our calling is just that it's just a a way that we exercise our calling. And now being 20 years in the ministry, my calling has manifested itself in a lot of different ways. And if I ever hold on to anything that I do, any task on my to-do list um, and find supreme value in the task at hand, I'm never going to be willing to release those things. Um, My calling is to pastor people. And I would say that if you're um, employed at a local church, 98% of you, that's probably your calling too. You know, I know Ephesians says he gave some to be evangelists and teachers. And I think for the most part in a local church is filled and staffed with people who feel called to pastor people. And that's our call. Anything else is just a manifestation of it. I wouldn't hold too, too tightly onto anything. Um, you know, in particular, you know, we're talking about choosing songs. Okay, well, that just gives me more time to pastor people. Else is do a task 
then I just have more time to pastor people or more time to lean into another task that I can uniquely do to serve my team, my congregation. Well, you know, it doesn't, there isn't like this supreme value in a few tasks that are at the top of the heap. Um, you know, no doubt that song selection is immensely important. Um, and whoever is doing that should be incredibly dialed into the vision of the church, the voice of God, the heart of their pastor, you know, all of those things. Um, but at the same time, if, if, if you're in a situation where you're multi-site and someone else is choosing songs, I would encourage you to pray for that person. Uh, pray God would speak to them. Be great at serving those leaders because you have to, you have to uh, assume that they're not making decisions personally or flippantly. And if you think that they are, just go talk to them about it. You know, I think that leaders are trying to make the best decisions that they can to serve the church well. And, you know, all the way from implementing systems to selecting songs, you know, big decisions to simple decisions to complex decisions. And so I just, I want to be a great pastor first. And second, I want to be a great follower. Uh, and who, if someone else is selecting your songs for you, then be a supporter of them. If something's not working, communicate to them, but like, man, for the most part, um, these responsibilities are going to fluctuate as your church grows and changes and, and culture grows and changes. And so don't hold tight onto the task, hold tight to your calling. And your calling is, for most of us, is to simply just pastor people with whatever task we're given. Well, thank you to Lee Baker for joining me and Lee Button this week on the podcast. And uh, just want to remind you just before we go that uh, you can sign up to our free 10-day church health check. Uh, just go to www.thinking.church. It's on our homepage. Just sign up there and you'll get it straight into your inbox. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. Looking forward to seeing you then. Bye for now.